Welcome back to Bond Waves. I'm, hi, I'm Kevin, and I'm a Port Worth Bond member. And hi, I'm Carrie, Stroke Survivor and Bond member. We are happy to welcome Jasmine to talk about disabilities and voting rights. She started as a volunteer here with us at Bond, and when she had the opportunity to join the staff, she jumped on in. Uh, welcome, Jasmine. Hi, thank you for having me. We're glad you're here. Glad you're here. Welcome to Bindways, the official podcast of the Brain Injury Network of Dallas. I'm Brian White, Bind's Executive Director. On each episode, we'll be providing insight into the brain injury community. We'll be talking to members and professionals regarding their stories and the important role of Bind's Clubhouse. We work as a team to inspire hope, community, and a sense of purpose to survivors, caregivers, and the public. Thank you for tuning in to Bindways. Let's get on with the show. Tell us a little bit about you and what got you interested in voting rights. Yeah, so a little bit about me. Um, I started at Bind as an intern back in 2018 for my undergraduate program. Uh, and so I finished uh, my semester with everyone here uh, and then graduated. And then shortly after, like in December or January of the next year, um, I saw that there was a position open. So I immediately emailed Valerie and was like, oh, I'm so glad to see this. I'll be sending my application. Uh, and yeah, since then I've been at Bind and I've really enjoyed my time here. Um, and then as far as like my personal interest in voting rights, um, I know at Bind, so one of the work units is outreach and advocacy. It's always been one of my favorites. And in the past, I know members have gone, you know, to the Capitol, to Austin, to kind of meet with um, different representatives and talk about brain injury and funding in the state of Texas. And so, um, but we didn't do anything related to voting. Um, but it's a kind of a really important thing that every member can participate in, even if they're not, you know, the greatest public speaker, they can't get to Austin to do some of those, you know, big advocacy events. So we kind of started that up and yeah, it's just been going ever since. <laughs> well, we're glad that you kind of brought that back to us. So kind of on a generic level, I guess, I know everyone, every state should have disability, disability rights or rights for those people with disabilities. Does it differ state by state? Or is it pretty generic and uniform across the states? Yeah, so that's a good question. So there's definitely um, like federal, countrywide um, rules, right? So we have like the ADA so that requires that um, people with disabilities have, you know, full inclusion and be able to vote. And then there's different acts that, you know, require that there is an accessible voting machine in every polling location, and that's a federal law or... Um, that you know polling places be accessible and stuff like that and then statewide there's a few other different rules so like in texas for example um, you are allowed to have assistance with either reading the ballot or with voting in general like with marking the ballot uh, having like interpreters so whether that's a different language or whether that's like a sign language interpreter being able to vote curbside if you're not able to physically enter the polling place um, having a really um robust like vote by mail system right that has like the policy and procedures set in place so that those ballots can be counted for and then also having like an id exemption law um so in texas if you can't get an id for whatever reason or not able to like update your id because of maybe a disability um you are able to like fill out a form and it's kind of a long process but you are you know able to say you know i can't get an id for this reason and you're able to vote anyways yeah i know that um 
when um, I did curbside voting last year, just kind of random, mm-hmm. um, they made my dad get out of the car, so they wouldn't let him be in the car with me. But I mean, you're, I mean, understand like if I'm blind and maybe need someone to read to me, then yeah, that's good. But yeah, I thought it was kind of funny. I was like, huh, Dad, you have to get out of the car in the cold, mm-hmm. wait for me to vote. Yeah, that's interesting too because I know other members have mentioned that. They've been able to vote, you know, with the person in the car and that they even offered it to the person in the car with them, even if, you know, that person wasn't technically eligible, you know, because you're already there. You're already doing curbside. So first, it really depends, yeah, on like the specific, you know, election workers, election officials that are at that polling Mm -hmm. site, kind of what they want to do with that. But I'm glad you were able to to do curbside. So can I ask, so if you have a physical disability, whether it be the inability to read or Mm -hmm. the physical disability and not being able to do whatever you have to do when you vote. Um, do they provide someone to help you or do you have to have someone? That's a great question. So it is up to the person. They can opt to have a poll worker assist them. And I think it's, you know, one poll worker during early voting and then two poll workers during the actual election day or to have their own person. Uh, and then with that, it can really be any person. That person doesn't have to be a U.S. citizen even. Um, but there is like three exceptions to that. So it can't be your employer, can't be like a union representative, or and there's like a third one that I'm forgetting. But yeah, someone that could kind of sway, sway your vote. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and so and they all also currently it's a little bit like we'll find out if this law is still in place um, with the next few like court decisions. But they are required to like, take an oath to you know saying that they're not going to. Mm-hmm. Uh, influence your vote and that they're only going to mark the ballot in the way that you pass them to. Wow. Um, what qualifies a person as having a disability and being able to request an accommodation? And what kind of accommodations do they make for people with disabilities? Yeah. So in terms of like who qualifies as a person with disabilities, there's not like, you know, a list of specific diagnoses. And it's like, oh, only if you're on this list do you qualify. It's really... Um, up to that person too because someone may have a brain injury even and and not necessarily need an accommodation or need that extra assistance um, but they're certainly entitled to it and so it's really up to that person to determine whether or not their disability requires them to have that extra support or that accommodation Um, so yeah up to that person and I always like to tell members too when they go in and they're asking you know oh I need this help or I can't stand in line can I sit inside or something like that that they don't need to disclose their disability um, to the poll worker. And that goes for everything, too. I mean, even with parking in, like, an accessible parking spot, if someone comes up to you and is like, prove to me that you're disabled, like, or something like that, you don't have to tell them anything. Like, you, you've got the placard, placard you're good to go. Well, I was going to say, well, you do have to have Yeah, placard. you do have to have that, but, like, you know, because not everyone has a disability that's, like, visible, visible. especially with brain, brain injuries, injury. right? Some of our members... They do have very physical disabilities, so they use a mobility aid, and so that's a very, like, mm-hmm. physical representation, but there's some other members who, you know, outwardly seem like nothing has happened. Um, so, yeah, so it's really up to that person, and then that's the other thing is, you know, you do need to ask for it. It's not going to be, like, assumed and give it to you, um, so it's a great opportunity for members to practice that self-advocacy and practice um, asking for what they need, even if that doesn't include you know spilling their whole life story to that person sure i mean absolutely it sounds like the accommodations are there we just mm-hmm. need to speak up for ourselves like we do in general with yeah. everything but so i'm sure there's always still more that could be done mm-hmm. and what kind of improvements do you feel could be made to facilitate voting rights for people with disability like funding laws etc and what could we do as brain injured survivors to help 
get that ball rolling. Yeah, so there's definitely a lot that can be done. You know, in other states, um, they have automatic voter registration when you turn 18. So as soon as you're eligible to vote, you know, you're able to just go in. Or other states will have things such as, like, same-day registration or even, like, universal uh, mail-in voting just really makes it accessible for everyone to vote. And um, those are some things that, you know, the state of Texas could consider. Uh, having things like drop boxes for mail-in ballots as well, um, and even polling locations, you know, where they're located at. Um, not only, like, the physical accessibility of the buildings, which, um, like, recent reports, you know, usually estimate that to be around, like, 60% of polling, placeable, polling places are inaccessible in some way. Uh, but then also, you know, where they're physically located in the community. Um, just to cite, like, a recent example, I think it was college station that said that they weren't going to have a polling place at A&M, which is like what? super huge yeah. population of people in the city that vote and are registered to vote. Um, but things like that happen all the time. Like, you know, the nearing polling, nearest polling place is 20 minutes away or it's really hard to get to mm-hmm. unless you have a car, like you can't get there on public transit or stuff like that. Um, and then also just, you know, reducing voter ID laws to make it a little bit more flexible for people with disabilities to vote. So I know in Texas, if you're over... A certain age, and I don't want to say the wrong age, um, you can have your ID be expired for as long as whenever. It could be, like, super duper old. <laughs> and then for different versions, you know, it's like, oh, it can be five years expired. But, you know, having some flexibility in there, because sometimes, you know, people aren't able to get to the DMV to register that every year when there's changes, you know, when they move or a name has changed or something like that. Right. So, you know, knowledge is power. So how could voters with disabilities research candidates that would have an agenda for inclusiveness? Yeah, so, and you mentioned this earlier in your other question, Carrie, and I totally didn't answer it, but I'll answer it with this one too, which was like how members can get involved. So, yeah, one, voting and like being informed, and there's a ton of um, online resources that members can use to kind of research who's on their ballot. Um So one thing that we share actually with our presentation every um, year is this website from the Secretary of State called like Who Represents Me because, you know, you go into the ballot, you don't necessarily know or have heard of all 30 offices that are on there. And you might not know like what state district you're in, what state senate district you're in, what state board of education district that you're in. And so you use this Who Represents Me website, type in your address and it'll tell you what district you're in, who the representatives are for all that district. And so then you can use that information. Okay, who is your representative now? Who else is running? Um, And then kind of go from there. So if there's a news source that you trust, I know like Texas Tribune, Dallas Morning News, a lot of those like big newspapers will do their own voting guides every year. Um, And then you can also kind of search different organizations will have like a set of questions that they give to every candidate so I know I personally use like the League of Women Voters has like a a sample ballot and you can like pick everyone and then print it out which is really helpful Um, and then you're able to kind of compare and see you know what they answered the question or if they didn't answer the questions and you can use ones from different places because they'll all ask you know the candidates different questions and kind of compare from there and then if you have more questions you know going to those individual candidates uh, platforms and going onto their websites but um and then to add on to that as well um yeah looking all that up beforehand and you're actually allowed to have paper ballots mm-hmm. or notes or things like that with you because it's you know I couldn't even remember all 30 people 
I get in there and I'm like, oh, dang it. I thought I was going to be able to just kind of pick the names and remember who all, but having it written out or typed out or anything is, is super helpful as well. Um, but then to answer your other question about what members can do is after voting um, is giving feedback to those polling places and letting them know this place was accessible, this place was not accessible, or I wasn't able to use the accessible voting machine here, or they told me that I couldn't vote or something like that and reporting that information so that, you know, the state election offices can use that feedback and make changes. So real quick, it's, so it is okay to have take a piece of paper in there with everything that you want to vote for. Yes, yeah. Okay. Whether it's like an official, you know, sample ballot that you print out or um, just a list of names in the offices, you you are allowed to have paper notes with okay. you. Great. Just took a quick little pause just to remind everyone, please go ahead and click that like button. If you're on YouTube, hit the notify button and remember to share when you're done listening to us. Let all your friends know. Um, but so we're going to get back to Jasmine. So I know a couple of weeks ago, maybe about a month ago, we participated in there was a week set aside specifically to advocate for disability rights and voting. And mm-hmm. we reached out to the city of Plano to ask them to help share that and support what support us in that effort. So along those lines, what other progress has been made in advocacy for voting rights for people with disabilities i mean i know that's a big like we're trying to advocate for ourselves but Mm -hmm. we could get other people to help us too that'd be great yeah so uh there's a few things so um the voting um accessibility for the elderly and handicapped act kind of requires two people or services that provide state-funded and, like, federal-funded um, services that provide services to people with disabilities that they're required to help, you know, register those voters as well. And so BIND doesn't fall under that necessarily because we're a nonprofit, but it is still super important for us and for other brain injury clubhouses um, to make sure that, you know, we're addressing the advocacy component of our clubhouses as well. Um, but then just statewide, there's some really great organizations so that uh, Disability Rights Voting Week that you mentioned was uh, an association with the American Association of People with Disabilities and their campaign, which is called Rev Up. And then Rev Up has their own chapter in Texas. There's Disability Rights Texas, which is like the official disability advocacy, like legal representation for the state. They do tons of great work with everything related to disability um, in Texas. And then there's also REACH, uh, which is in Plano. So Mm -hmm. every city or or county maybe in Plano has a a community for independent living or center for independent living. And so they also do a lot of advocacy work for whatever region that they're in. Um, So there's a lot of local advocacy groups uh, made up of people with disabilities that are doing a lot of that work, especially here in Texas. That's wonderful. Well, Thinking of how many people are unable to get to the polling mm-hmm. uh, places. And so what are the general mail-in voting requirements? And can you kind of explain the process? Yeah, so there is, it's different than in Texas than it is in other states. So in Texas, um, there's a few requirements. One, you have to be, you know, already registered to vote, already eligible. And then you have to either be a person with a disability, uh, over the age of 65 or older, um, be away. Like if you're in the military or something, you're not going to be in the state of Texas or for another reason where it's not just a vacation maybe. Um, or if you are, um, in like prison or jail, uh, but you haven't been convicted of a felony. So you still have your, your right to vote. So you have to follow under 
those requirements. And then every year you have to fill out an application to vote by mail. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's not just enough to be registered. You have to fill out that application. It's every year. And on that application, you will write what elections you want to receive ballots for. So you can either select, you know, annual application. I want them for the whole year. Um, If it's a primary election year, you'll have to pick, you know, what party you want that primary for. And then if you want any runoff elections. Um, So if you fill it out at the beginning of the year and you only want May or March, um, depending on if it's like a uniform election or a primary, and then you want the one in November, you'd have to fill it out again and make sure that you select November if you don't pick, you know, annual the first time. So that's kind of the process. And then there's certain dates that you need to have that application in by once you get the ballot, you know, a certain day that you Mm -hmm. have to have that ballot sent back in. Um, And then there's a bunch of other laws or rules really with, you know, how it's filled out, what information needs to be on there, how you send it back and stuff like that. Yeah. It's a pretty easy process though. Yeah. But I also, I would just kind of, as we kind of get towards the end here, um, what advice would you give to a person with disabilities who's just reluctant to vote because of perceived barriers? I know some people just don't like to admit they're disabled, but we really need everyone to vote. Mm -hmm. So what kind of advice would you give those that just kind of are like shy or scared that they're not going to... Sounds like to me, mail-in is probably the best. But. Yeah, yeah. If you are able to do mail-in, then that's great. If you're a person who, you know, wants to go in person, then you should be able to do that as well. And people with disabilities, and I don't think I mentioned this, but it's, you know, the largest minority group in the United States. It's one in every five people. And then the other thing is it intersects across all groups, right? Um, so people of different genders, different ethnicities, different races are all included in this group. It's a very diverse group of people. But they're also one of the groups that has one of the lowest voting um, turnouts. So it's really important, yeah, if if you're able to go and vote to do that. And so my advice would be, especially if, you know, our member at Bind would be to ask questions. And one of the things I love that we do is that we get the chance to go and vote together as a group. And there's really that power, I think, in knowing, like, if you're worried about someone kind of giving you a hard time is there's other members there to back you up or the staff, you know, will go there as well and be able to say, you know, hey, this person should be able to vote and kind of help them advocate for themselves. But also, you know, practicing that you don't necessarily have to wait until you're in the polling place to use those self-advocacy skills, kind of using them on a smaller level and kind of building up that confidence. And then also, yeah, the education part, knowing what you can ask for, how to ask for it. We've done like the kind of role-playing stuff at Bind where we'll do the scenarios and I'll be a a mean election worker and, and, you know, (laughs) kind of dramatize it for the members, but kind of makes it funny too. It makes it easier for the members to, to be able to practice that in real life. Thank you, Jasmine, so much for that. We got a little confused here for a second um we want to thank you again so much for joining us and for the information on voting and we're hoping this gets out in time that we can just tell everyone even if you're not disabled that you continue to go and vote and do it it is your right See, we got new shirts boo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> um also um if you would like more information about bind or about our podcast or would like to share anything with us we have an email address it's bindwaves at the bind.org b-i-n-d W-A-V-E-S at thebind.org. Don't forget to like, share, subscribe, and also hit that notify button on YouTube while listening to Bond Waves. You can find us on all your favorite channels. Stay tuned for the next episode. Until next time, guys. Until next time. We hope you've enjoyed listening to Bind Waves and continue to support Bind and our nonprofit mission. We support brain injury survivors as they reconnect into the life the community, and their workplace. 
And we couldn't do that without great listeners like you. We appreciate each and every one of you. Continue watching. Until next time. Until next time.